All right, today um, I'd like to welcome to the Courage to Lead interview series our second guest, um, and his name is Wayne Larden. Wayne Larden is the CEO uh, of a company called Pont3, and they're responsible for virtually giving Sydney the iconic Sydney Marathon, which has been going since the Sydney Olympics in, in the year 2000. Wayne had this vision that um, it would be nice to make that an annual event and showcase Sydney every year, essentially, um, turning his uh, life's passion of running, marathon running, into something that everyone could enjoy. So without further ado, um, Wayne can probably tell, you, tell me a lot more about that, but welcome Wayne Larden to the second interview um, of the Courage to Lead series. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Alan. Nice to see you again. Nice to speak to you, of course, as always. No, my, my pleasure to have you on the show because you've got a story to tell. So um, if, uh, if I kick off with, with who is Wayne Larden, um, and like I've, you've, just to give listeners a bit of a, an idea, um, Wayne Larden used to be a regular presenter to our police leadership um, workshops when I was a superintendent in the cops. He, his story was quite riveting. So I know your story. So Wayne, do you want to um, kick off who is Wayne Larden? Where did it all start? God. Um, I like an open-ended question like that, Alan. It's, uh, <laughs> well, you know, I, I was born in the late 60s um, out in a, a nice area of Sydney called Mount Druitt, um, suburb of Mount Druitt called Tregear. Um, me and my family grew up there, um, two siblings, older sister, younger brother, father, mother. Um, went to a school called Tregear Public School, um, it was pretty, pretty. Um, it was an interesting area. I um, mean, lots of sport was played out in Mount Druitt. Kids, you know, kids in Mount Druitt did a lot of sport. Um, it was encouraged. I was pretty passionate about sport. Rugby league was the ball sport of the day out in Mount Druitt. Um, lots of fantastic rugby league players came from the area, not just Mount Druitt, St Mary's and Penrith, of course. Um, I played for um, two teams, Trigear Foxes and then Wayland Warriors. Um, some great players came out of Whalen Warriors, the famous Mark Geyer, um, you know, people like that um, who excelled at sport. Uh, you needed something out there to sort of keep you occupied um, because there was a lot of things that could distract you out there, not so positive things necessarily. Um, we all got into a little bit of strife every now and then. Um, <laughs> and there's a few scallywags out there. I was sort of um, probably more in the in the sort of um, in the ballpark of you know playing sport and keeping myself occupied, I think that's a sort of good way to go. Um, the this the, the rugby league club um, out in Mount Druitt had a bit of a relationship with the little athletics club where we would sort of um, do little athletics in the off season, and the little athletics club would encourage the kids to go and do rugby league in in the athletics off season. It was a pretty good cross promotional sort of activity that they did. Um, so that sort of got me involved in, in the sport of running and I wasn't very good at it, to be honest. Um, not up until I got into, I think, year seven in high school. Went to um, a school called Dunhevard High School. Um, it was a pretty rough school at times, actually quite regularly. I didn't like that too much, to be honest. I was a little kid, um, you know, very light. I think I weighed about 50 kilograms or something like that in year seven. Um, so sort of didn't enjoy that side of you know school life. Is that um, where's Dunhevard? Is that in St Mary's? Is it not near Dunhevard? Yes, yeah. in North St Mary's, uh, just across um, Ropes Creek from Tregear. Yeah. Um, so you know we just caught the bus to school each day. Got into a bit of mischief out there, and you know at that time my parents separated, and it was a bit tough on the family. You know, pretty common story. Um, you know, saw a lot of stuff I didn't really like pretty um, confronting, you know, first-hand views of, you know, um, abuse in, in homes, you know, next door and up the street and, you know, dysfunctional family life. I and mean, we didn't have that at home. We had a good family, so we were lucky. Um, but a lot of that was just really confronting and hard to process as a kid. Um, you know, violence and drugs, you know, we grew up with it, um, alcohol, abuse, um, you know, kids who 
who would come drink in our backyard on a Friday night, you know, later in life, you know, when I say later in life, I'm talking about 15, 16 years old, getting hooked on pretty heavy drugs. And I mean, one of the guys, fat, you know, I won't say his name, but anyway, he, he got into some, some heavy drugs and raped and killed the 12 year old girl across the street, got put in prison for 20 years and, you know, a couple of murders on the street, you know, we lived in, it was, you know, a lot went on. <laughs> and, you know, I, I didn't like it, I, you know, I didn't like it at all. And there's a lot of good people out there, don't get me wrong, um, a lot of good friends still um, from out there. But, you know, I I sort of became good at sport and good at running in particular from about year seven. Um, you know, one of the teachers at school pulled me up because I was going a little bit sort of wayward after, you know, my parents split up. It affected me a little bit and, you know, I was doing some things that I shouldn't have been doing and he got me sort of focused on running, um, you know, and there's a bit of anger in me. Um, I don't know. It's just something that I had. Um, I don't know. There's just something within me that wanted something more, I think. Um, you know, it motivated me to train pretty hard. Um, you know, and I got, you know, over the years from year seven to year 10, year 10, I think I made my first state team for cross country, went to Darwin's combined high schools, championships got third there. And, um, you know, en- ended up sort of meeting a lot of people from different places and, you know, opened my eyes up to opportunities and um, motivated me to train harder to, you know, try and achieve something, you know, with my life and, and, and go and see different things and, um, you know, realise that you could achieve something, you know, if you applied yourself. Um, so I applied myself pretty pretty damn hard to running. Um you know, got through to year 10 and I was a bit of a rat bag at school like like a lot of the kids were, you know, at my school and we were just messing around and really study. I was doing okay at school, like middle of the road, I suppose. Um, but realised, you know, where where I was at and the friends that I had and, and not that they were bad or anything, but I was in a routine of just being a bit of a clown and, um, you know, not really applying myself and... Um, Asked my father, you know, if I could go and live with my grandparents in Bankstown, suburb called Regions Park, and go to the school that they went to, which was Biron Boys High School. Um, and Dad, you know, talked to Pop and Nan, and, you know, they obviously welcomed me. Pop was a an old-school, <laughs> old-school, hard, tough guy, which is, I think, what I needed um, at the time to pull me in the line and get me focused and on the on the right path. Um, so moved in with them, you know, started year 11 um, out there, you know, at Biron Boys High and sort of worked out. I've actually started, you know, in, in class and realised, actually, i got to go back almost to year seven and relearn maths and relearn English and, you know, catch up on all the work I didn't do in Mount Druid because I was too lazy or too silly or, you know, just being a clown and did that, sort of caught up and then was sort of behind the eight ball, but, but worked pretty hard at it. And what um, um, you know, and what what made you like? That's pretty mature. Like most year eleven kids, especially young boys, don't um, don't have that level of maturity. What made you accept that you had to relearn it and actually do it? I, I think it was um, I think it was sort of in part related to um, my running and like at that point in running, I hated being beaten. I had a fear of failure. The, like you wouldn't believe like I just it was my you know there's lots of different psychological motivators as you'd know Alan my, mine was fear of failure and that drove me um and, and it drove me in in every way it still does uh, I mean you know success is another one of course um and, and there are others but for me at that time especially I was sick of failing and, and I didn't want to fail and and I knew if I wanted to succeed I had to go and actually do the work that I hadn't done before to get myself to the level that these kids were already at. Yeah, um, yeah. I also knew that I wanted, if I wanted to go to university, then I had to actually catch up and actually get ahead, um, which is so, you know, I just, and it was hard work. Like, I'm not a naturally smart person. I had to work hard, um, you know, and I didn't just absorb learning. I had to go and redo it five times before it sunk into my, my thick skull. So, so you know, can, a lot I mean, than probably what most people can you get like I don't I have no idea where all the where these interviews will go, but hopefully you're talking to a young 
year 10 kid now that's exactly where Wayne Laden was at, at year 10, year 11. Um, what did you have to do? Like you said, you had to redo five things. What, what was a normal day? Like you're in year 11, so you've got year 11 assignments. You've got yeah. your running. What else yeah. did you have to do to... What's a normal day look like where you're relearning four years I'd of education? I would, like, I would, look, I had all my old sort of texts and things like that, and I, I would just have to go through through those and go back to the basics. How does this work in maths? How does that work? How, you know, just the foundations and relearn the foundations so that I could understand the more complex equations and concepts that you had in year 11 and 12, because I didn't learn them back in year 7 to 10. Um, so I would have to go and do that and then move on to the year 11 and 12 work. Um, or year 11 work at that point. Then training, I was only training once a day at that age. So it wasn't like the, the workloads that I had later, you know, when I was you know, a bit more professional. Um, so that, you know, the day would be you'd get up, sometimes I'd go for a jog in the morning, then you'd go to school, you'd do your school work, you'd do a bit of catching up, then you'd try and, try and work out the homework that you had at the time. Um, and then eventually and slowly caught up to the kids that were there. I mean, not to the really smart kids, but to the middle-of-the-road kids. But the middle-of-the-road kids, you know, at my school in Biron were, were actually quite smart. And I didn't want to... I didn't need to be ducks of the school or anything. I just wanted to get enough marks to get into university. Yeah. Um, you know, I wanted to move to Canberra and I wanted to train with the best athletes in Australia. If I was good enough, maybe get a scholarship with AIS. Um, so it was sort of all packaged up in this sort of goal of what wanting to get a university degree wanting to go to Canberra to train with the best guys, wanting to get an AA scholarship if I could, and then take that running to the next level of trying to make sort of junior and senior Australian teams. Yeah. So, you know, it was all wrapped up in this sort of package of, you know, wanting to do more with my life, knowing sort of what I needed to do and then having to apply myself um, to actually get there. So um, can I just... And it's um, time-consuming. Can I just, um, like... Most, like, what you've just articulated, like, I learnt that probably in my 30s, like, goal setting and stuff like that. How did you, like, you just rattled that off just then. Uh, I, wanted, I wanted to be smarter, as smart as the middle of those kids. I wanted to be that smart so I could go to uni. I wanted to go to the AOS in Canberra and train with the best guys. Um, did you write all those goals down in year 11? Or was it just... No, no it was just in me. I, like... I just knew, like, you know, I think in part because of some of the things I saw and, you know, where I was, I, I just I just wanted to do a bit more with myself. Um, but I knew doing it the way I was doing it wasn't going to get me there. Um, and, and, you know, that drive and, um, you know, and then eventually the competitive instinct in me, you know, came out and that then translated into school which I didn't have before, like, you know, when, when I was at Birong Boys High, the kids were really competitive, you know, with each other, who got the best mark, but, you know, it wasn't like that when I was at school in Dunhaven, it was sort of almost, it was almost the opposite, but, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and so therefore, you know, kids going, well, I beat you in biology, it's like, I'm, I'm in, inside me, I start, you know, seething thinking yeah. well you won't can beat me next time yeah um you know and then and that's how i approach running like if someone beat me i'd i'd go back and train for three months working on whatever it was that i thought allowed that person to beat me and then i'd go back and race them and and beat them yeah um you know and and just analyzing you know what went wrong um you know how what you needed to do to fix it or improve it and, and how could you be more competitive next time um, that was just something that was within me from a pretty young age. Um, you know, and I guess, Alan, you'd know this from your career in the police, you know, those post-operations, um, debriefs, whether it's an event or, you know, a police operation or whatever else, and learning, you know, what you did well, what you did um, not so well, what you did badly, and how can, how can you improve it and become better? You know, that's just something you do um, at a later age. It's just how I analyse things at a young age. At school, um, at school. At school, and yeah. especially with running, and then translating that into school as well. So um, um, it's something I strike, um, and I, most of the people I'm... I've got a number of people lined up to interview on this 
this show, um, this series, and they all seem to have that moment where, and you just described it, where um, where you talked about, yeah, you had you, you stepped back, you looked at the people you were hanging around with, and you wanted more. So how mm-hmm. did how how did you make that decision then? And then was that when you get, when you end up with your grandfather? I I, I I don't know where look. Call it what you will, but I, I saw my life going in one of two directions. Um, it could keep going in the pathway that it was going, and I could I could be one of the people living near me, and um, you know, and, and that could be my life, and and that could have been um, a two pronged um, outcome. It could have just been a, a you know a normal, good, functional life, um, you know, in the West, which is fine, and no problem with that. It could have been a dysfunctional, abusive um, life, you know, which I'd observed many times in, you know, with my neighbours, next door neighbours, um, you know, that close to us. Um, and I didn't want that. I, I actually wanted to just see a bit more and I wanted to do a bit more and, um, and achieve a bit more. So, you know, I thought, well, if, if that's what you want, then you've got to actually change something. Okay. That's, pretty, that's really... Thank you for being so honest about it, Wayne. Um, and it's a good story because I, I hopefully... You know, you'd really want, you would hope that, you know, some kid is listening to this in the future and, yeah. um, and, and they see how driven you are to, to say, to change your life, really. Like it's, um, and it's, it's, funny. it's funny too because, like, oh, I was an average, very average kid. Like, there was nothing outstanding about me at all. Um, you know, that little bit of inspiration, motivation and belief, you know, it can change everything. Yeah. So was um one of the questions I wanted to ask you was you know what was your first experience of true leadership, and I'll let you dwell on that. But but would you um would you maybe um attribute that to the teacher that pulled you aside? He was one like I, I think he was a person who saw something more within me, um, and he knew I was having a rough time. So you know he, he you know he he'd obviously. You know, he was a good teacher and a caring person and, you know, wanted to help. So I think that was important. I think probably my grandfather, you know, I, I don't know, maybe maybe even I identified something within my grandfather that I knew I needed and I think that was probably discipline um, and structure. Um, and, and I think that was probably the first thing that more functional change, I suppose, in my life that, that probably put me in the, you know, set me on the right path, I suppose, and taught me things, you know, that, that were important, you know, that you carry forward um, later in life, um, which which were things that I just didn't have at the time. That's pretty wonderful. Did you ever... Um, what was your grandfather's name? Louis Laden. Louis, Louis Laden. <laughs> did you ever, did you ever um, have the conversation with Louis about what he actually gave you? Um, no, I... Well... He and I were really close, you know, and he he came to every one of my training sessions. He'd take me to races, you know. He'd 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 you know flash his camera light so I knew when to start each rep, and he'd time me. So he was a you know he was a big part of that stage of my life. I mean, I, I don't know. It was sort of unsaid, you know. Maybe it should have been said, um, but we were we were pretty close. I mean, he died pretty young, sort of in you know in these days, but. No, I wish I did, but I didn't. Yeah. Um, not, not, not um, specifically. No. But, it's but pretty, I, think, I think he knew. Yeah, it's pretty special that you attribute your change in direction, like writing your your own story into the story you wanted, uh, to your grandfather. So it's um, that's pretty. Right. It is yeah. pretty special. Um, so you you talk about, uh, uh, you've talked about you've started the running. You've, yeah. you've, you're still you're in year eleven. Um, so how do you how does how does high school end and how do you you know keep on with the story? You had these goals where you wanted to go to the IIS. Um, tell us how the yeah. story goes. So sort of yeah, I guess then you know I got myself into a nice rhythm with school, was improving you know with that. I became a prefect in year twelve, which was nice. You know something I never thought I'd achieve. Um, you know where I was before. Um, running, running was going well. I, you know, I, I think I won, I don't know how many national titles in year 12, but it was quite a lot. 
Um, and so things were progressing well. I got, you know, moved to Canberra year after I finished high school, made my first national team in 1987, which was the year after I finished high school. It was the World Championships for cross-country running in, um, was in, in Warsaw. Yeah. Um, and then moved down to Canberra, um, started uni down there, um, ended up doing a Bachelor of Applied Science in Sports Science, um, which I loved, just, you know, really loved it. I knew I'd never, I knew I'd, I knew I would never earn a cent out of the degree, though. Um, it was, <laughs> I was just passionate about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I knew if I didn't study something that I was passionate about it, I'd, I'd probably fail at it. Um, so I wanted to study something that I knew I could apply myself to, I knew I'd be interested in, um, but I always knew I'd never work in that field. Um, yeah. I don't know why I knew that, but I did. Yeah. Um, at the time, I was putting myself through uni. Uh, I was working at the ACT Athletics Association um, as an administration person there and working on track meets and, and whatnot, which I'd loved. Um, you know, went, running just kept sort of moving along. I had a, had a running career, sort of a little bit plagued by injuries, um, so I was sort of up and down a little bit. Made a, made three more national teams, ran in three more world championships, made a few track um, teams, won a won the Australian cross country championships, was second in the Australian ten thousand meter championships is in the open category, um, and was third in the Australian marathon championships. Ran the Olympic trials in um, in two thousand and six, and sorry, nineteen ninety six. My apologies You're right. for Atlanta. Um, got injured in that, so didn't make that team. Um, anyway, uh, had a bunch of injuries. So, you know, look, my, my theory on, on sport and injuries and, and all that sort of stuff is I, I think you achieve what you're meant to achieve. Uh, I think, you know, I'm happy with what I did. I had a lot of injuries. Some people, you know, when people say, oh, you could have done a lot more if you didn't have so many injuries, but... Your body is your body, you know. Your body lets you do what it's willing to let you do and what it's capable of doing. My body wasn't capable of doing 220 kilometres a week without getting injured. Yeah. And you needed to do 220 kilometres a week to make the Olympics. So yeah. I didn't make the Olympics. So yeah. therefore, I did what I could. Um, so I was really happy with the career I had. You know, I went all over the world, amazing, met amazing people, had amazing experiences, learned a lot in life about you know, discipline, training, enjoyment, um, all of these sort of things that you take forward with you. Um, actually, first job I had was straight out of uni. Um, I was hired by Fairfax as the assistant race director of the City to Surf Fun Run, which you'd know well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was great, really great introduction to working in event management. Um, you know, at the time, I think there were about 43,000 participants there were about 50,000 by the time I left, um, you know, learned the, the fundamentals of, of, you know, running events, um, mm. you know, event promotion, um, working with, you know, various stakeholders like landowners and government agencies, police, AMBOs, etc. Um, you know, at, at a, had good mentors, um, you know, good management, taught me the ropes. Um, so that was great. Um, went from there into the Olympic job program, because uh, I was still running then, uh, worked at AMP, managed um, a lot of their Olympic sponsorship programs leading up to Sydney 2000, um, which was awesome, just great fun. So that showed me a different side of um, event management, the, the commercial side, um, you know, how to work with brands, how to how to integrate a brand into an event um, and maximise the value to them and therefore maximise the revenue opportunities to your event. Um, so sort of from you know move from a more operational role to a commercial role and a relationship management role brand and marketing role to I, I guess sort of provide a, I guess round out the experience sort of experience you need to deliver major events at a high level yeah or a more senior level I should say um, and then sort of moved on from there um, and acquired the rights to um, the Sydney Marathon in 2005, so it was a few years after it started, um, made some changes to the event in year one, it was 2005, we added the family fun run, um, wanted to provide something, having worked at City to Surf, you know, which is an event that's 
you know, fantastic event, but it's 14k a hill. So I wanted to have an event or deliver an event that actually anyone could do from from a four-year-old having grown up with sport and grown up with running and, and enjoyed what that gave me. And I think, you know, if if mums and dads can go out and do things like fun runs, you know, whether it's 3K, 4K, whatever, do things like those with their kids and have these incredible experiences and then kids grow up knowing, you know, thinking and knowing that going in a running event is actually a normal thing. Yeah. It's a normal part of life and it's something that should be enjoyed um, you know, and, 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 and done regularly and which wasn't normal at the time. You yeah. know? So that was something that I thought we could deliver to the community by adding the family fun run, which is only three and a half K and it's incredible. You know, just the addition and a massive growth straight away. Mums in mums with kids in prams in their first fun run with their very first medal at six months old, collecting medals as they grow up in the pram, out of the pram, walking, you know, right up to teens. Um, and then, you know, they might drop out of running or whatever, but they've got those experiences and memories and, um, you know, physical awards of, of their medals. Um, and hopefully then they take their kids and, and take them on that journey because they enjoyed it so much when they were kids, right? Um, and that, that, I think, is good for the community. It's good for community health. Um, it's good for, you know, psychology, mental health and all of these other um, great benefits, you know, that come with exercising, doing stuff with family and... Um, achieving, you know, things. So, so that was one of the first things we did with the with the can, running festival. Can I, can I just interrupt? Can I just interrupt you there, Wayne? Um, uh, it's just so obvious to anyone listening to uh, us today how passionate you are about about running and about this particular event and where you took it. Um, you said uh, I might just just go backwards a little bit. You said you took over the the rights to the Sydney Marathon event in two thousand and five. Mm-hmm. What made you want to do that? What? What? Why did well, you? Why did you funny, want yeah, this race? So we can do a tar- Tarantino um, back rewind, actually, to my first connection with the marathon, which was actually 1993, which was exactly when Juan Antonio Samaranch announced that Sydney 2000 had won the Olympic Games, um, and immediately after that, um, Athletics Australia and Athletics New South Wales had quickly worked out that we needed to have, um, you know, a, a marathon in Sydney um, on the course that the Sydney Marathon would take uh, to, you know, engage the community to test, you know, the resourcing operations of delivering an Olympic-style marathon. And on, in that year, I was contracted. I was literally walked out of uni and got contracted to do an, a logistics assessment of the marathon course and what would be required to deliver the Sydney Marathon um, as a prelude to the Olympics. Um, so I went and did that assessment and put in the report on what was going to be required operationally to deliver the event. Um, and that was pretty well on the Olympic course. It got changed slightly in the end. But then, so um, they created the event, the Sydney Marathon. Um, I think it was called the Blue Line Marathon. Um, I can't remember exactly, but anyway, um, they interviewed for race directors um I was 24, I think. I hadn't had a proper job, yeah. actually. Um, I got down to the final three and didn't get it, and I'm really glad I didn't get it. <laughs> I, would have been, yeah. I would have been too immature without enough experience to actually succeed in the role. So thankfully, in hindsight, although I was pretty upset about it at the time, um, thankfully I didn't get it. Um, but I stayed involved as a commentator. Um, you know, I, I stayed around the event um, Always loved the event and the concept. It went bankrupt twice between 93 and 2000. Um, and then, you know, the Olympics happened. Then the New South Wales government were approached by Athletics Australia and then News Corp um, with the strategy of having a legacy event. Um, and the Sydney Marathon in its current form was born in 2001. Um, now, at that time, I was still at A&P, so I didn't, I wasn't involved in 2001 to 2003, but in 2004, the then organisers approached me to come to write a strategy to actually grow the marathon because it wasn't performing, um, it wasn't delivering on government objectives, government tourism objectives, it wasn't delivering profit to the sport of athletics who owned it um, because it was gifted to Athletics Australia by the New South Wales government. Yeah. 
Um, and so I was, I was, I was asked to come in as a consultant, develop a strategy to, to achieve the, you know, the objectives of the, the owners and the, and the government, which I did. Um, and, but, but put caveats into that consulting agreement that I would be retained to help deliver it so that then I could finally be involved with the Sydney marathon in an official capacity. And so anyway, one thing led to another and I ended up acquiring the rights in full, um, in 2005 and took over as the race director and you know owner of Pont 3 who owned the rights to deliver the event for Athletics Australia and, and New South Wales government so that's sort of how I the, the long uh, long uh, and very patient relationship I had with the Sydney Marathon from 93 finally came to fruition in 2005 so how can I, can I, I mean just um the budget side of me, my old job thinks, well, how does, like, if I, if I do the math right, you're probably 34, 35 by that stage? 2034, 30, yeah. So how does a 30, how does 34-year-old Wayne Larden acquire the rights to such a major event? Did, did, it, did it break the bank? Did, what did you have to do to...? Uh, it was losing money. Um, I mean, in that first year... There were times where I was paying, paying a lot of bills on my own personal credit card and just, well, racking up numbers of credit cards to get through um, whilst we waited for the, the strategy that we'd written to actually take effect um, and, the, and the income to grow. And that took a year um, to get to a point where we were probably at break even another couple of years before we were making profit, um, you know, enough profit to you know not be concerned about being able to pay off the credit card but (laughs) but i believed in the event you know i always knew this event would be a success and i knew and i knew it wholeheartedly when i went and had a look at it in 2004 and just thought wow this has really got something is this this could be an incredible event for sydney it just needs it just needs a bit of work it needs some tweaking um you know and, and it just needs to be all pulled together um, and, and, and a few things, um, you know, modified for it to get there. And, and that's exactly what we did. So what um, was, what was it know, about, that's... probably just describe it to people that haven't seen the event, where does the course go? Or what's so special yeah. about this event? So, there's, so, I mean, there's a few key things with the event. So one, which I really like, which when, when I started in 2005, we added the family fun run, and that enabled us to call it the run that's fun for everyone, and, and what, I, what I mean by that is there's four events within the Sydney Running Festival. One is the marathon, two is the half marathon, three is the 10K, and four is the 3.5K family run. Now, so that enables the entire community to take part, whether they're a runner, a walker, a mum, a dad, fat, thin, you know, whatever. Anyone can do it. Um, so that, re, you know, that removes barriers to participation, firstly. Um, and motivates people because they know they can do it. They'd want to do a fun run, but, you know, maybe previously they couldn't do the distance, they were worried about it, um, or whatever. Two, um, you know, the big attraction of this event, and there's two aspects of that. One is the Sydney Harbour Bridge. It's the only event, as you know, Alan, as the former commander of the event, it's the only event that shuts the Sydney Harbour Bridge to traffic um, so the event can run over the full deck, Um, and it finishes on the forecourt of the Sydney Opera House. So the two most, most iconic tourist, um, you know, uh, icons um, are part of the course. So, and that's a real attraction to people because it's unique. Um, and then, you know, if, if in events you, you can deliver a unique experience, then you're going to keep people coming back year on year and then you grow. Um, so they're the two, they're the sort of three main things, I think. Yeah. The three most important things. Delivering... The event really well, obviously, is important because that contributes to the experience. Um, it's safe. Um, you know, it keeps all of the stakeholders happy. And you can't do that on your own. Like, you, as you know, Alan, it's like, you know, there's literally thousands of people who work on the Sydney Marathon, on the Sydney Running Festival to make it a success. Like, you know, I think, I think when you were commander, Alan, it was something like 230 police officers out on the course. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but literally thousands of hours before that planning it you know you got tmc transport for new south wales working for months and months on traffic management planning and 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 whatnot um so you know delivering a a, just a really well executed event requires great coordination and relationships with you know 
literally hundreds of people who are all really passionate about their jobs and all do their jobs really well. So bringing all that together, you know, creates an event that's, you know, enjoyable, it's safe, it's unique, um, you know, it's an experience that, you know, showcases the city, it, it brings people in from overseas and interstate, so it contributes to the economy, um, which means the government want to support it, um, you know, people want to watch it, uh, people want to do it. There's just so many aspects um, that go into success for an event like this. So, so just let me, um, I know you've, you've touched on a really, uh, probably one of the main things about about what a good leader's about, and I think you um, possibly undersell just in that quick uh, iteration of what's required. Like you've done this event since 2005, and now it's 2022, you're still doing it. Um, how, how have you maintained the relationships with all, like you've only mentioned a couple, like the Transport New South Wales, um, uh, the police you've talked about, but there must be so many more agencies, like you talked about government as well, um, and uh, athletics, New South Wales, and that kind of stuff, and tourism, I'd say, would be in there as well. How have you yeah. maintained credibility, I suppose, um, and, and good relationships with these people? Because I, I could only imagine if you were really bad at this, you wouldn't still be doing it. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, <laughs> you, you're probably right, Alan. I, I, I mean... Look, I'm, I'm generally pretty honest and open. Um, you know, I think relationships are the cornerstone to, you know, almost any form of success, I, I think. I mean, they're, well, what are the cornerstones, I should say? Um, and I, and I'm, I'm very careful about nurturing relationships. Um, and, you know, just being a nice person helps too, you know. Like, you, there's always going to be differences of opinion, um, you know, throughout any career or, um, or something as complex as this, you know, but, you know, just, just working through things in a, in a professional way and being, um, friendly about it, you know, just helps, I think, you know, you achieve what you want to achieve, but not just you, it also helps everyone achieve what they want to achieve because you can do it in a, in the right environment, um, where, you know, people you, you find want to help with you and work with you and solve a problem instead of, you know, there being brick walls put up um, because they don't really like you or, you know, you're not very cooperative or helpful or or they perceive it to be, you know, a one-sided relationship, which nothing can be like that, right, um, you know, in, in or outside of work. Um, but, you know, like I've always tried to nurture relationships and, again, I'm, I'm generally pretty casual sort of person. I, I don't know, I'd just be myself, really. Um, so, let, I mean... It, it is an important part of it. So when, I like, I suppose some people have either got it or they haven't, but you're, you've just told the, the listeners, like, um, you're a young young man who lived in Tregear in Mount Druitt. Um, you, need, you, you, you sought out um, to better yourself and live with your grandfather and, and get better schooling. At what point did you learn the lesson, and it's an important lesson of any leader, um, to, um, to just achieve, uh, you know, to learn the skills you just talked about, like getting on with people, people want to work with you, um, not having you know, people hate you, um, and all working towards the one goal. Where did you learn that? Did you learn that yourself, or, did, or, or have you I learned think, it? I think, I think maybe, like, I, I mean, you know, I've always been, you, you always got to listen to other people, right? Um, and, you know, if you show an interest in other people and let them talk, you know, you, I don't know, it's just, I mean, it's not something you study or anything like that. I mean, I've always done that. Um, you know, and I do have an interest in people just generally, like, you know, I'll always want to, you know, I'll always ask how they're going, what's happening, you know, how's things, that sort of thing, before you get into any discussion well, generally, generally that's the case. I mean, it's not always the case. Some people aren't interested in that, but generally that's how I approach things. Yeah. I didn't learn. I don't know. It just sort of is it's... naturally who I am. I have an interest in people, what they do, how they do it, and, and stuff like that. Okay. Um, I'm conscious of, uh, of our time today, but uh, there's a couple of things. How have you pulled together, a t like you don't do this on your own, like, uh, no. how, how have you pulled together... The, yeah. the people to do this 
with you. Oh, you'll understand this very well, Alan. And uh, I mean, uh, creating an environment, creating the right environment that's going to attract the best talent is important. I think um, getting the best talent, you know, that so that's the first step. I think, and I don't know, I don't have a formula for that or anything. You know, I think I like to have fun at work. I like people to actually um, enjoy coming to work, want to come to work. Um, you know, and, and and I like people having good relationships at work. I like doing social things with my staff. Um, you know, and and you know, if you can have that as a foundation, then you know, you're gonna you've got a better chance of attracting better talent. Um, I've you know from a remuneration and other rewards perspective. So office, you know, uh, environment is one thing. You know, I've always paid a little bit more than others, just a little bit. It doesn't have to be much if it's the right environment, but a little bit more helps. But getting the best talent too is also um, requires a bit of uh, finesse um, in in that the best talent, they're clear, strong thinkers, um, you know, and they're talented in themselves. So you've got to let them flourish too, right? You've got to, you know, obviously, you know, we, we, we've all got to have a, a shared goal, um, you know, and understand what the objectives are and everything else. But these people, you hire them for a reason and they're, you know, you, you got to let them go um, and, and let them do what what they do best. Um, and I think, you know, I've never been one. I just don't, I don't think I have the attention span for micromanaging, to be honest. But, you know, letting them do what, they, what they're really good at, rewarding them, you know, um, working towards this common goal and sharing, um, sharing the... Um, excitement and accolade and, and reward of delivering something amazing is is also a great reward um i don't know i've just built the team over years like i've, I've had staff for 30 i've still i've got staff right now that have been with me for 13 years or more which is a lot in event management um i can tell you yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and they just love working at pont three and i love working with them and we collaborate sometimes there's healthy discussion and we don't always agree, but, you know, when you've got really talented people, you've got to listen to them and you've got to let them do their jobs. Um, and and it's, they've got to have fun. I, I'm not going to ask you anything. You've just... Um, I couldn't have scripted what you just said um, any better. And, and you and I didn't talk about that. You just... That's just come off <laughs> come off the cuff. So, well done to you, sir. That's... Um, I mean, I, I, I'd love to come... Like I, I said, I'll, Alan, you, you, you managed uh, an LAC with what three or four hundred people in it so you you will know very well what the requirements are of <laughs> keeping people engaged yeah no but um in your environment because it's uh, it's 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 really a wonderful answer so i'm just going to ask you a couple of more questions um so you talked about your highly skilled team um there's two things i want to ask you i want to talk to you about and I, i'll just let you think about this um what have been some of the major challenges with the with the marathon, the Sydney Marathon, over the years that you've been running it? And I'm thinking maybe of um, terrorism kind of stuff, and there's probably new stuff with COVID as well. Um, and then the second thing I want to uh, want want you to think about and and talk to us about, if if you would like to, is um is what with what have been your goals for the Sydney Marathon, as in its um I think it's rating or how it's viewed upon the rest of the world. So. If you can, if you want to attack those questions in, in yeah. any order, you want to do it. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, some of the, I mean, there's, there's challenges that pop up every year, and as, as you know, you know, any city is a living landscape um, that changes every year and needs uh, maintenance, sort of like a like a human body almost. Um, you know, so you know, one of the challenges we face each year is the changing landscape of a city, whether that be you know. Uh, potholes on in a road, or um, new cycle lanes, or um, um, you know, cross city tunnels being built, or um, metro links, um, or yeah. <laughs> this or that. So these are a normal part of life for us. Um, and you know, part of that, you know, solving those problems, you know, is helped tremendously by having, you know, one the right contacts, but two the right relationships with um, key stakeholders and landowners. So you one firstly know about them, and secondly can solve the problem and, and work your way around. And that's, so that's one, that's a general everyday thing for an event manager. Um, secondly, you know, you're always thinking um, ahead a little bit in, in, in 
the leadership roles that you know that we've had and that I have now is you know making sure that you know commercially you're sound um, you know understanding what the expiry profiles are like on your commercial agreements with you know sponsors and whatnot um, making sure you're staying relevant um, and, and engaging the running community and you know can and make sure that you your um, you know your registration revenues are going to be what what you want and managing costs to those and all of those sort of normal business things that are a little bit different with you know events um, but you know can translate to any business I suppose um, you know they're important fundamentals of, of managing a business and, and keeping it um, solvent and still there 20 years later <laughs> these things that, that's just sort of general business practice um, and then they're challenges that I think about pretty regularly staff um, maintaining and, and retaining staff of course um, is important uh, for growth um, you know when you're a rights holder so maintaining contracts um, and, and making sure owners of, of, of rights like Athletics Australia are happy with the job you're doing and you know you're delivering enough profit to them and they're happy with how you're doing things relationships with government um, especially um, destination New South Wales and New South Wales government making sure you're delivering on, on what their tourism objectives are and economic impact objectives. So there's a whole lot of stuff to think about um, that are challenging, but, you know, also it's just part of the job. Um, I find that all quite interesting. Um, you know, political change is interesting too. Um, you know, that happens, you know, not every three years or four years, but pretty regularly. Sometimes it's that. <laughs> you know, you, you know we, we, we've, things will pop up, like literally five weeks before an event where there's a massive hole in the forecourt of an opera house, for example, where it's like, oh, Jesus, how are we going to get around this? Um, just stuff like that. They're, they're the sort of things that just can stress you a little bit, but that's just a normal part of being in events. Um, more challenging are things you can't control. You know, like COVID, for example, and this was the same with every business. You know, one of the big psychological challenges I had um, during COVID um, when, you know, in the first sort of phase, which was 20, um, you know, not knowing whether events are going to be cancelled, um, you know, whether we'd be allowed to run events, trying to influence people to, you know, review plans that we'd written that we knew um, should be safe and, and, you know, should allow us to conduct an event during COVID, but just not being able to get through or use the um, knowledge, uh, relationships and whatever else to to do what we wanted to do it was really frustrating. But, you know, and, and eventually I realised, you know, it took me six months and a lot of stress. And eventually I realised, actually, you know what? These people are working on something that's pretty big, um, you know, and important uh, and needs to be managed. And I, I have no impact. I've got no influence. There's nothing I can do yeah. um, to change the situation. And once I realised that, all of this stress that was within me just got released and I just had to go with the flow, yeah. like everyone else. Um, and then, you know, uh, just try and get through um, as best we can and manage the business financially, especially, mm -hmm. um, to make sure we will be here after COVID. That was that was an interesting challenge that I hopefully won't, won't happen again. Yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, that, that experience would be reflected across 90% of business in Australia yeah. and, and around the world probably. So that was really unique thing that I'd never want to experience again because it was very stressful and a lot of people didn't get through it. So um, how many how many years had, did, did um, the did the uh, marathon not run? No, it didn't run. Um, we ended up having to cancel it about six weeks, eight weeks before the scheduled date in 2020 and about the same in 21. Um, sort of moving on to 22 and where we're at now, and this is probably a, um, a sort of a, a good segue um, Late last year, so, so early last year, I went to Destination New South Wales with a proposal to um, grow the marathon um, and, and especially target Asia um, to bring more marathon runners to Sydney Marathon. Um, uh, and, you know, the, the then new CEO, Steve Cox, um, said to me, he said, look, I'm not really interested in this strategy. He said, what I am interested in is knowing whether the Sydney Marathon could be part of the World Marathon Majors. Um, now, the World Marathon Majors, if you know anything about running, is the best, um, biggest and best series of marathon events in the world. So 
it includes London Marathon, New York City, Boston, Chicago, Berlin, and Tokyo. So it's a six-event series, um, and you know they're, they're oversubscribed by about two hundred fifty thousand people each event each year. Raise billions of dollars for charities. They're, they're, it's like the Olympic final of of marathon road running, and it's like every every road running event organizer in the world looks up to and has aspirations of one day you know being one of the majors or being like them even mm. anyway he so he challenged me to go and find out whether there's a pathway to the world marathon majors and we'd actually approached them about five years earlier and there wasn't a pathway um but um i did go and talk to them and and to my surprise there was a newly created um program called the world marathon majors candidacy program and that was created because they wanted to expand the series to become more accessible, especially geographically, because they had three events in North America, two in Europe, and one in in, um, in Asia. Yeah. Um, and there was one spot left. So that what they agreed amongst themselves was they would have up to nine World Marathon Majors events and no more ever. There were two other events in the candidacy program, and we were able to negotiate the last spot, which we've just been awarded. Oh, wow. Um, six, six, only six weeks ago. Yeah. Um, we announced it. Um, it's really big news in, in running, um, in road running and, and event management. Um, it, it's sort of will be required to undergo three years of candidacy assessment um, with really strict criteria, most of which we meet now. Yeah. Uh, already, um, but the the last few are pretty challenging. I, I I I I'm pretty confident we'll get there, and if we do, or when we do, um, you know, we will become a world marathon majors event and and enter the upper echelon, the top, the Olympic final of of events of road running of marathon running in the world, and the impact here will be incredible. You know, the event will go from a five thousand person marathon. Um, you know, we, we have 40,000 runners overall across the four events now, but the marathon is only 5,000. So we'll grow um, up to, you know, 20 or 30,000 people in the marathon. And to give you an indication of the impact of that, we would probably go, you know, probably something from about a $20 million economic impact to, you know, a few hundred million dollar impact uh, potentially up to that. Um, you know, the, the, the event would be broadcast further internationally. More people will know about it. More people will want to come here. Um, you know, more people will spend their money in Sydney. Um, more people will be inspired to run. More people will want to get fit and healthy. It's just so many incredible benefits to the community and to, to the state and the city. Uh, so we're, that's our new, new focus as of six weeks ago. Um, this year's event is a transition year, and then we're into full full candidacy mode for the two years after that so that's the latest news alan and it's really really exciting so that's the ultimate goal for for a marathon organizer in the world so we we're we're at the start line so hopefully we'll get to the finish line and join you know the olympic final i think um uh, thank you for articulating that so well but haven't you already kicked some goals haven't you reached um uh, correct me if i'm wrong correct my ignorance isn't there a a bronze, silver, and gold rating for marathon. Yes. So have we already so, kicked, yeah. kicked those goals? We have, yeah. So we've been a, a World Athletics Gold Label Marathon for the last six years. Um, there's only two of those in Australia: Gold Coast Marathon and Sydney Marathon. Um, we will achieve the criteria for Platinum Label Marathon, which is there's only 12 Platinum Label marathons in the world. We will we, we will hit that criteria this year and be awarded <clears throat> the Platinum Label next year. Um, that's part of what part of what we want to do to become a world marathon major. Um, but the world marathon major is an independent um, sort of group of events. Um, now, so they run their own show essentially. They're, they're I don't know how you describe it. It's a series um, who all work together, and they are the best. Um, but so we'll have the best and the highest ranking from world athletics, and hopefully. We'll, we'll be added to the World Marathon Majors, which means there's no there's no higher level. Okay. Um, so that's the goal. I, that's that's this is my Olympics. Like that's I want us to be in that Olympic final. So we've we're almost there. Like I said before, we're on the start line now. Um, we want to make the final and, and and be in the final in perpetuity. So the, so if I take you back to 2005 when you um, when you got the rights for the Sydney Marathon, 
Did you have a kind of a 20-year plan then about where you wanted to go? I wouldn't say I had a 20-year plan. Early on, it was, it was, a, it was what do we need to do to survive and grow. Yeah. Um, you know, that was the first stage. And then, you know, you get through that stage and you start looking a, a bit further ahead and we went for a silver label, World Athletic silver label, um, and then we wanted to make, sh- make sure we were growing across the board so we were financially stable. Um, and then you start looking, okay, now we can start thinking further ahead. Um, at that point in time, you know, I think the world, I think the world marathon majors didn't start until about 2012, 14, something like that. Um, so that wasn't even around. Um, yeah. At that stage, you know, you, your ultimate goal was to get a world athletics label, which is what we got. Um, after that, after getting the silver label um, and then the gold label, World Marathon Majors became such a huge success as a series that everyone wanted to do. Then it's like, wow, wouldn't it be amazing to be a World Marathon Major? And we did make inquiries about it, um, and there wasn't a pathway, like I said. And we, we even went to the point of, of, you know, trying to determine whether we could we could create our own series. And we did put papers together um, around an Asia-Pacific Marathon Majors, you know, in our region. Uh, we, we couldn't get the funding to get that up and off the ground. Um, and then Steve, Steve gave us, you know, the impetus and the, um, you know, uh, the suggestion to go and relook at it. Um, and they've and they've been amazing. Honestly, they've they've supported us throughout. They're, they're funding the candidacy for three years. Um, they've really committed to the, you know, and we really have a shared vision with DNSW on what we want Sydney Marathon to look like and what we think it can contribute to the city and the state. Um, so that's fantastic. We're really aligned on that. Um, so, you know, when you get into a position like that, you know, you've got the support that you need, the financial support and the structural and, you know, moral and other support, you know, then that's, they're really good ingredients for success. Um, you know, so that's, that's, you know, I, you know, I think we're heading on the right path. To well, do congratulations to you and your team. That's, um, that's a huge win. Um, we are getting close to the end of our interview, but you, throughout this interview, you've talked about your own um, mental health well-being. You've talked about running as, as being a good source of, um, of health for, for the general population. And you talked yeah. about the, the, psycholo- the psycholo- psychological challenge you, you had to face um, with COVID. Um, I'm aware of your story from before when you've spoken to our police. Do you, um, do you want to share with the audience today something that um, I know about you? Oh, it's up to you um, uh, if you want to go there. But uh, I think it would be quite um, far-reaching about, about what you've achieved with, with your own challenges. Um, you might need to be a bit more specific, Al. Just uh, ask the question. Uh, you told me before in, uh, to our people in the police that you, you, you were diagnosed with bipolar. And I know, I, I know from before... Um, like a day out from the running of the Sydney uh, Marathon, you're in hospital with your, with your bipolar. Um, how does someone with that challenge do achieve what your challenge is, achieve what you've achieved? I think uh, it's quite amazing. Yeah. Mental health is a, is a big thing. And I, and I didn't talk about charities and, and whatnot related to the events, but I will in a minute. But mental health with athletes, and, and I, uh, there's, there's, there's a doctorate in this, I'm sure, uh, for somebody, but... I have this theory. I don't know whether it's right or not. Um, I think it was with me a little bit, maybe. Um, but it's super elite athletes, not all of them have mental health problems, but it's interesting and it's anecdotal, by the way, um, when you see in, you know, in the news, and I feel sorry for some of these really high-profile athletes who you know, the media like to put a spotlight on, and, and, and often you will see, you know, uh, you know, rugby players or league players or whatever, getting themselves into trouble, um, you know, when, when they quit their professional sporting careers and whatnot. Um, for me, you know, having a, a sports science degree, I understand the chemistry of running, um, you know, and, and uh, of, you know, all of the, the, the chemistry of the brain and, and how exercise positively affects that. Um, my theory is that, in my case, anyway, I, I think there was there was a, a chem in in my case there's something with the chemistry in my brain that running made me feel better um, at a very young age and and made me train harder and then I became successful at it and ran more and felt better 
uh, and then became successful. And that led to, you know, a whole lot of other things, really positive things. Um, and I didn't, I don't think I knew, I, I actually probably think I had, you know, um, some, some chemistry problems from an early age, but you manage it through, you know, dopamine um, management through running and whatnot. Um, you know, when I did stop running, you know, I did notice changes and, um, you know, I did notice changes in mood, um, changes in behaviour, um, and I didn't know what it was. I didn't understand it. It wasn't something pretty confronting that I didn't know how to deal with, um, didn't even comprehend, didn't even think about it being a, a chemical problem in my brain or it being mental health. It was just something I didn't understand yeah. and didn't want to talk about um, and didn't, and, and I was embarrassed about it. You know, it, it was... It was a tough thing to deal with, actually. You know, my partner Hannah um, sort of helped me a lot. She, um, she was the first person to suggest maybe I needed to go and, you know, talk to someone about mental health, about depression, or, you know, and, and which I did. You know, went on, um, you know, went and see some sites and, and, you know, took some, um, you know, drugs and whatnot to try and see if they helped. Didn't really help, um, to be honest, and that frustrated me a lot. Yeah, it led to um, a period where, um, you know, you sort of, in, in a way, in some ways, at, at times, you sort of give up hope. It's like, well, is this going to be with me forever? Can, I can't control it. I've been to the psych- psychiatrist. I've tried the drugs. They haven't done anything, you know. Yeah. What do I do now? Um, you know, eventually, <laughs> she suggested, actually, maybe you should get a bit more specific and talk to the psych about bipolar and I did a bit of reading on it and, you know, worked out that, you know, if you do have that and you, tr- you don't treat it correctly, it can be a bit, bit detrimental. Anyway, um, did go and talk some more and try some different drugs that were a bit more focused on, um, you know, the chemistry of bipolar. And, and that did, I did see some changes pretty quickly. And, you know, that gives you a bit of hope, um, you know, and gives you a bit of motivation to keep at it, um, you know, keep taking medications and, um, you know, um, and moving forward instead of treading water and, you know, not really knowing where you're going to be or what's going to happen. Um, so that was interesting. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was an interesting journey and, and it's a tough one, um, especially for an elite athlete, um, you know, who has been used to their whole life being on top, mm-hmm. and winning and um, accolades and success and, um, you know, these failure and, and not understanding how to get somewhere uh, and not having a pathway is something completely foreign, um, completely foreign and really um, quite stressful to a, a former elite athlete. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, it was an interesting time in my life. And, and yes, yeah, it's, it's tough. And it, it is still tough for a lot of people, I think, you know, just talking about it especially young men, um, young men, young professionals, not just athletes, but anybody. Uh, but, I, you know, having come from the, an athletic background, um, you know, I know what it was like from my perspective and I've just observed what you see in the media and you feel sorry for these young kids. You've got a lot of money and, you know, you wonder what they're going through um, and, and it has to play out on TV um, or, you know, or on the radio or whatever. But, yeah, that was tough. Um, you know, that's... It's, and, 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 you know, working out, because you, you'll go on these drugs and, and you will feel better and you'll think, okay, I don't need them anymore. Okay. And then you, you go off them. Yeah. And then you slowly, well, not always, it's not the same with everyone, this is just my experience. You know, you do, and you can, and, and I did, you slip back into a bit of a hole and realise, okay, and you go on this sort of roller coaster ride for a while until at one stage, for me it was like, you know what, I've just got to take these things and just forget it. Um, that's just part of it, um, and, you know. Unless, it's like, I can't run 200 kilometers a week now yeah. to control, you know, to elevate my dopamine and, and and balance the brain chemicals like I used to when I was an athlete. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, that was that was a challenging part of life. Um, uh, it took a period of self-examination. Um, you know, I don't know. It's just, yeah, so many different things you deal with in that situation You've been and very... it affected me it affected my entire life my relationships my work you know absolutely 
impacted it in a really negative way um, until I got on top of it. Okay. And you're happy with where you're at now? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty good. Like you know, it's I, I've been I've been great for for a long while um, now. And you know, I, again, I take my drugs and I try and exercise when I can. You know, as much as I can, which isn't enough. Yeah, because I'm I'm getting fat <laughs> as I get older. I think it's the joy of getting older. You only have to look at food and you get fat. I think so. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, look, you're, look you're... I think things. things I'm I'm really happy with pro- the progress I'm making. I think in life, if you if you're if you've got some good things in your life and you're in you're making positive steps towards something, whatever it is, whether it's something in your job or you know something with your kids or your relationship or whatever it might be, you want to do a you want to finish a ten k fun run, a walk, jog, or whatever it is, right? Um, you know, having things to focus on and feel like you're pro- making progress in anything, I think is good. Um, and and baby steps, you know, if you if you do have mental health problems. You can't be too hard on yourself because a lot of a lot of times you are. I was going to ask you one final gem, but you just finished with one final gem, so I don't have to ask it. That's um, I don't think we can I can top that. Uh, what you just finished with with them, Wayne. So um, I think we're done for today. Unless there's something you want to end with yourself. Um, I really thank you for how candid you are. Um, I, I take my hat off to you, what you've achieved, you and your people. Um, and, and, and what's come through, I think for, for me, and probably for all the listeners, is, um, is your absolute passion. And, and some summary points like you a genuine interest in people and what makes them tick and, and, and wanting to work together to get an outcome. So... Um, Congratulations, Wayne. Uh, you've uh, hof- hopefully Sydney and Australia sees um, Sydney as a as a world marathon rated event in the near future. Is yes, there any? So do I. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for it either, mate. And 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 you know we wouldn't be where we are now if it wasn't for people like you, mate. We work work with you closely for many years, so you know which I really enjoyed. You know, not yeah, but you as a person, you've always been supportive. You know. This 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 series that you're doing now and the the topic and subject matter is I know resonates with you because I've seen it in action. So thank you too, mate. That's all right. That's very kind of you. You didn't have to say that plug at the end, but thank you. Um, so do you want to just finish any any last words and then we'll wrap it up? No, no, mate. No, no. no I, I think we've covered everything, mate. I just want to wish you well. Wish you well with the book as well. I'm looking forward to reading it. Yes, yes, I'm looking forward to getting it published as well. So thank you, sir. Uh, absolute pleasure to talk to you. And I, I forgot how much fun it is to, to um, soak up your enthusiasm and professionalism, really. Like, uh, if, you, if I asked someone else to talk about what you talked about today, there'd be ums and ahs, but you, you just live it. It just rolls out of you. So congrats again, um, and I'll, we'll be in contact in the near future. Thanks, mate. Good on you, Alan. Good to see you, mate. Bye. Take care. Thank you, mate. Bye.